Today we're looking in the book of Leviticus. It's chapter 25, and it's verses 8 to 18. You might find something funny if you look into this passage. The word justice isn't even in here. Instead, it it, um, describes what justice really looks like. It tells about the year of Jubilee. This happened every 50 years back in Bible times. During that year, if you owed money to someone, your debt was forgiven. That means you didn't have to pay it back. If you had sold your land, your land was given back to you. If you were a slave, you would be set free. And even though God's people didn't need to plant or harvest crops, God provided everything they needed. Wow, that would be a great year. I guess adults probably got to experience it only once or twice in their lifetime, though. But then I see the same phrase two times in the scripture. It says, do not take advantage of each other. It says that twice. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. What does that mean? Do not take advantage of other people. If someone takes advantage of you, it means they treat you unfairly for their benefit, especially when you're trying to be kind or to help them. For example, maybe you loaned your bike to someone to use for one day and he didn't give it back for a whole week. That person was taking advantage of you. God doesn't want us to treat other people unfairly so that it makes life better for us. That's not justice. In our sermon series, we're learning that God loves justice. There are many people in this world who are not just, and God wants us to be different from them. God is just, and he wants us to be just. Did you know that God wants you to be just? He wants you to treat people like he would treat them? You can't just say, well, you know what, it's okay. My mom does that, or my dad shows justice, or my family acts justly, Or, hey, I go to CHPC. Our church practices justice. You can't say that because God wants you, no matter how small you are, to learn how to be just. So how do you do that? What does that even look like? Well, first, let's think about all the different people who need justice, especially people who may often be treated unjustly. Maybe it's someone who speaks a different language than you. Maybe it's someone who looks different than you do. Someone whose skin color is different than yours. Someone whose family doesn't have much money. Someone who doesn't have all the cool toys. Someone who's not good at sports or doesn't do well in school or doesn't have any special talents. Or maybe it's someone in a wheelchair, someone who's blind or even deaf. How can we show justice to all of these people? Well, here are some ways. Include them. Ask if they want to play. Maybe at recess or at gym or in your neighborhood. When you're choosing teams, choose them first because they're used to being chosen last. When you play with other people, play by the rules. Don't cheat. Tell the truth. Don't tell lies. Be kind. If someone tells you a secret, keep it. Don't start blabbing it to other people. If somebody lets you use their property, respect their property and give it back in a good time. Keep a promise. Don't play favorites. These are all ways that we can show justice. But is it easy to do these kinds of things? 
No way. But our God, who loves justice, will help us do that if we ask him. So let's do that now. Dear God, we want to show justice like you do. Please show us how to do that. Please help us to be fair and kind and loving to the people we meet this week. Help us to not take advantage of them. Help us to be just. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, College Hill Presbyterian. I'm Sharon Holland. I am uh, your preacher for the day. Uh, I have uh, been in Cincinnati for 25 years now and in uh, College Hill for four, and this year I'm serving as an elder. Um, I came to Cincinnati to study uh, the scriptures at Hebrew Union College, where I also met my husband, and uh, we loved Cincinnati so much we never left. Uh, it is a pleasure for me to be here today to share the word of the Lord with you. Our scriptures for today are Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 24, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard, You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired servant and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants." It shall be a jubilee for you, when each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vine, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the Jubilee, and he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price. And if the years are few, you shall reduce the price, for it is the number of the crops that he is selling to you. 
You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you all for joining us in worship on this cold morning. I hope that you are warm at home and your internet is working well. I never thought the internet speed would be an object of prayer, but in a pandemic it really is. The staff and the music leaders and Pastor Daryl are here today making sure you can join us in worship, even from home, and we thank them for their hard work. Our sermon series in January is about justice, and Pastor Drew has shed some warmth on us on these cold January mornings by sharing with us a vision of the goodness of God found in human equality, human value, and human flourishing. When he asked me if I would be willing to preach one of the sermon uh, sermons on justice, uh, he asked if there was one passage I would like to preach. And my first thought was, oh, I could do the year of Jubilee. And then I talked myself out of it and thought, oh, no, that's too obscure. People don't want to hear a sermon from Leviticus. And I didn't get back to him right away. Well, he sent me an email and he said, I think you should preach on the year of Jubilee. So I want you to know that the word of the Lord is coming to you today doubly. Both Drew and I had this passage in mind for today. Why the year of Jubilee? When is the last time you heard a sermon on Leviticus? Leviticus is the book of the Bible people like to skip. Why the year of Jubilee? Well, the year of Jubilee comes from the part of the Bible we call the law. When God uh, freed Israel from captivity, when he freed them from slavery in Egypt, he took them to the wilderness and he renewed their relationship with him. And part of that renewal was the giving of the law. The law tells Israel who God is and who God expects them to be. The law is the picture of God's character. We read the law so we can know who God is. Some of you might have grown up thinking that the law was the part of the Bible you get to ignore. Um, I certainly heard in Sunday school growing up that uh, the law doesn't apply to us anymore. 
But Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And in Jesus' most famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, he gives us his understanding of the law. Jesus looks into the law of Moses and he finds there the perfect holy character of God. And he tells us what that, what that is in the Sermon on the Mount. So today we're going to read uh, Leviticus and we're going to look into it to see the character of God. Pastor Drew told us in his first sermon in this series that justice is the very character of God present from the moment of creation. The year of Jubilee exists to show us what God's justice is. Now, the law we read today, the year of Jubilee, comes with a time stamp. Not every law does. Some laws don't need them. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those laws don't come with extra details so you know when to obey them. You obey them always, or we're supposed to. No exceptions. The law we read today begins with a time and a setting. When you come into the land that I give you. God had freed his people from slavery. He had redeemed them. Redeem is an old word for buying something back, for getting freedom for someone else, or returning something captured to whom it belonged. The Israelites are free. And on Mount Sinai, God renews what it means to be a free people. A big piece of that is telling them how they should live. If they are God's people, they must live out God's character. On Sinai, God tells the people how they will live in laws like this one. God's justice comes with a plan. As the people are preparing to enter the promised land, God tells them ahead of time the plan. God has a plan from before the creation of the world. He's giving them a piece of the plan, and it is a plan that comes with a plan. The year of the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee, which happens every 50 years. He promised the tribe of Israel would have a place. They will enter the land, and the land will be divided according to each tribe. Every tribe and man within that tribe will have a homeland. And the homeland will be permanent. But first, before he gets to the Jubilee, he talks about the Sabbath year. Now, the Sabbath year is every seven years the land rests. God's plan for human equality, human value, and human flourishing includes rest. Now, 
you probably know about the Sabbath for people, a day of rest every seventh day. Christians celebrate that day of rest on Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. So we commemorate that resurrection in making Sunday a day of rest. That is our Christian Sabbath. But Americans don't really like rest. (laughs) We have recreation. We don't have rest. We do self-care, not rest. When is the last time you asked someone how they spent their weekend, and they said, I rested. If they did say, I rested, how would you feel about it? Would a little part of you think, oh, well, that must be nice? We behave as though a good Christian life is to fill it up with constant work, constant stress, and if you're not doing that, you're just not doing enough for God. But Scripture God himself commands rest. The Sabbath rest is how we bring grace into our use of time. Remembering God's command to rest on the Sabbath is how we show we know that our work is not what saves the world. We receive the work of God. We show it in honoring the Sabbath and receiving that rest. Now, I know it's still hard to rest because everything you have to do is so important. Remember that the model for our rest is God in the act of creation. God made the world in six days, And on the seventh day, he rested. Exactly which part of your work is more important than the work God does? If God can rest, exactly what are you doing that's so essential that you can't? God is our model of rest. He gave rest to us to celebrate who he is to honor his grace in even how we use time. Now that rest is so important to God's vision of peace and justice for the world that the rest extends even to the land. Ancient Israel was a farming economy. Most of the wealth and and, uh, produce of the country is going to be in farming. So you can plant your fields for six years, but on the seventh year, the land gets to rest too. Now we know this is actually good farm practice. Uh, Letting the land rest, letting it lie fallow, is part of restoring the nutrients of the soil. It's part of healing the soil so it can continue to grow things. Um, The Sabbath year helps restore the soil. It teaches the people to depend on God, and it extends the healing grace of God to the whole world, including even the dirt. Now, I live in a hundred-year-old house that's on a hill. 
When we bought it 17 years ago, the backyard was a hillside choked with honeysuckle bushes. You couldn't even walk into it. It was so packed with honeysuckle. Maybe someday we'll do something about that, I thought at the time. (laughs) But then we had four babies in five years, and I ran out of energy. Then three years ago, my kids are older. They don't need me as much. I looked at that honeysuckle-choked hill again, and I thought, it's time. And I have spent the last three years cutting out honeysuckle, hacking out roots, moving rocks, making paths for the water to flow to stop erosion, and pulling out garbage. Because it turns out that underneath all that honeysuckle, uh, generations of people in this house had been dumping their garbage. I have pulled out rusted sheet metal, three big buckets full of asbestos roof tile, I've pulled out rusty car parts, broken glass. I have made space for native plants to come back, and they have. This year, blue mist flower uh, bloomed in my yard. I didn't plant it. It just appeared. It's a native flower that feeds the pollinators, that feeds the bees. I made space for the land to heal, and it's healing. I planted trees. It's become a joy to me, and I do the work not only because I love the garden, but because I remember I'm part of the kingdom of God. And we are spreading the ripples of his peace and justice in the world. When I heal the land, when I make space for the land to heal, I am participating in the justice of God. I am participating in God's plan for justice being released into the world. I am trying to heal my own little piece of land because I know it isn't really mine. The Sabbath year in Leviticus 25 gets multiplied seven times and then becomes a jubilee year. This is the year in which every piece of land goes back to the clan it was first given to. Every 50 years, all of the land of Israel goes back to the family God first gave it to. Verse 23 says, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. Every sale of a house, every sale of a farm in Israel was supposed to be temporary. It could only be long-term rent. The real owner was God, and every 50 years, the land went back to the family God set it aside for. Imagine how disruptive this must be. We live in a moment where uh, economic 
systems, rules for how we handle money and property are hotly discussed. Sometimes I hear Christians insist that one economic theory is the only right one for the world. And you can, you can think that. You're allowed to have an opinion on this and invest yourself in your opinion. But I will remind you that when God spoke on the subject, he gave an economic plan that would be disruptive to every economic theory we know of. It's almost as if increasing wealth were not God's first priority. On Sinai, when God speaks up about the system he wants for Israel, he commands something that would throw a wrench into every political theory we have today. He will give people private property, but it is private property they can never really sell. Why? If we are going to be like Jesus and look into the law to see the character of God, what is it about this law that shows the character of God? Why is this part of God's plan for human equality, human value, and human flourishing? He tells us in verse 23, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. God wants to teach us who he is and who we are. And he will use our homes to do it. We are strangers and sojourners with him. We have a word for strangers and sojourners. The word is immigrant. The word here in the text, the Hebrew word is ger, if you're interested in Hebrew words. It means immigrant. The land is God's, and we are immigrants with him. The whole earth is the Lord's, not only the promised land. The whole earth is the Lord's. And we are immigrants with him. God wants us to remember that our real home is with him. And consider how cleverly he does this. God's sense of humor doesn't get a lot of play with Presbyterians. But God has a richly developed sense of irony. It's on display here. To show us we are immigrants, he gives us a home we can never sell. God does that. He teaches us something by giving us something unrelated or its opposite. He teaches you to appreciate something after you've lost it. He teaches joy by allowing suffering. The disciples rejoiced that they were persecuted. That is the irony of God. He teaches Israel to understand themselves as immigrants by giving them homes they can't fully get rid of. 
He taught me to value sleep by giving me babies. (laughs) This is God's sense of humor. To show you that you are an immigrant with him, he, he sets up a system where you can't sell your home. When we are immigrants with God, he becomes our permanent home, a home we cannot lose. Every other home can be taken away. God's promise to Israel is they will live securely in the land if they do what is right. They don't do what's right. And eventually there is exile. When God is the homeland we know above all others, we can see each other the way he does. We're here in this church, a diverse body of Christ followers. How can we exist as a diverse body when so many things in the world push us to let those those differences separate us? We can do it because God is our home. We are immigrants, but God is our home. When God is our true home, we can seek the good of our neighbor the way he does. When God is our home, justice is a joy instead of a chore. Envy is uprooted and tossed out like the honeysuckle on my hill. We can imagine what the year of Jubilee would have done for Israel. The freedom of all slaves and prisoners. The break of generational poverty. In year 48, you had nothing. In year 50, you had a home. In a nation of farmers, Jubilee would have meant a 50-year business cycle. A plan for the future built around roughly an adult lifetime. If the age of majority in, in Israel is roughly 30, that's when a man becomes fully uh, uh, an adult who uh, the, the acts uh, independently. Plus 50 years, the Bible gives us 80 is roughly the human lifetime. So Jubilee... The year of Jubilee, the pattern of Jubilee, is telling people to plan their um, business practices on an adult human lifetime. Imagine what that would do if we really thought that way. Rich neighborhoods that kept out the poor, poor neighborhoods abandoned to their poverty would have been disrupted. How do you have economically segregated neighborhoods if every 50 years, every home goes back to its clan? We can imagine what the year of Jubilee would have done for Israel. But you notice I say, would have. I say would have because we don't see the year of Jubilee being followed. We don't have any records of Israel actually obeying this law. In fact, when we read the history of Israel in the Bible, we find Israel will do the right thing 
in swinging back and forth. Sometimes they seek God and obey. Sometimes they chase after other gods. And we don't get even a 50-year time span of faithfulness of the nation. The promise of Jubilee remained a promise. Eventually, Israel goes into exile. The secure homeland they were promised, if they did what was right, was taken over by foreign armies. And when their borders are no longer their own, when they are no longer in charge of their own lives, something begins to happen to that word in the text that I told you means immigrant, ger. The meaning changes. It grows. By the time of Jesus, that little word has changed to mean convert. A person who moves from one country to another came to mean a person who left their idols and came to the Lord. So John the Baptist begins preaching in the wilds outside of Jerusalem, and he calls people to repentance. He prepares the way of the Lord. He prepares the people for Jesus by preaching and baptizing. Baptism, the baptism he used, was the Jewish practice of a cleansing bath for converts. John is preaching that every person must come to God as a convert. Even if your family has been religious for years and years and years. Baptism, that baptism that Jesus carries on, that Paul carries on, that baptism becomes the first sacrament of the Christian church. Your baptism even if it happened when you were a baby, your baptism says that you are a convert, that you are an immigrant who has found your home in God. The ancient plan of God given to Moses on Sinai included your baptism. The God who plans ahead tells us to plan ahead as well. We are not Israel living in the promised land, so the details of the year of Jubilee do not bind us. Remember I said it came with a time stamp and a setting. The details are not what we have to follow, but the character of God shown in the year of Jubilee is. The character of God is our home. The God who plans justice wants us to plan justice. What can we do to bring justice to our world, not only in the moment, but thinking 50 years ahead, thinking generations ahead? Back to my garden. I'm working on this hillside trying to bring justice and peace and healing to my little bit of land. But I'm a 48-year-old woman. I feel my knees and my back are not going to last. 
There will come a day I cannot climb that hill. There will come a day I cannot move that rock. Still, I work to heal my bit of earth. The preacher and teacher Eugene Peterson describes the life in God as a long obedience in the same direction. I think of this when I'm working on my hill. Healing our world isn't only splashy, exciting projects. It's not just the stuff that gets press. It's not just stuff that looks good in photos. Some of it is the long, quiet slog, done in hope, done even if it feels temporary, done even if it feels like it's too small a thing to change the world. Because the work we do cannot be undone. Even if you feel forgotten, even if you see others drop what you passed them, the goodness and justice of God is forever. Justice is the character of God, and God goes on even when everything else stops. Every good thing lasts forever. It will find its harvest in the kingdom of God. The goodness and justice you work today, even if you do not see its result, will continue and find its home in God. The God who commanded the Jubilee, even when his people did not obey him, was working his will in the world and bringing his commands and his promises to perfection in Jesus Christ. The freedom we have in Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise of Jubilee. Your work as well, your hope, your joy, your longing, and your rest will find their perfection in Jesus the Jesus who is coming back someday, who will set the world to right. The world, at last, will find its jubilee in him. The work you have done will stand, even if you cannot see how. His kingdom is forever. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.